I am truly grateful uh, to, to be able to stand before you and preach. It's been about a month. That's a forever for me uh, to, to get to preach. And so very blessed. Uh, here in this uh, congregation to have a number of preachers uh, who are exceptionally good, but I still, you know, it's one of the things I'm working on, coveting the pulpit. I'm, I'm working on it. Uh, and so it is, it is a blessing to be able to stand before you and present the Word of God with you this morning. How good it is uh, that God is already moving in this place. Um, always. Uh, there's something special, not about this room or about this building. There's something special about when we're together. Amen. Wherever that may be, when we're together, there's just something special about that. And I praise God that he is always in the midst and amongst us uh, in that. If you want to open your Bibles to Isaiah 35, we're going to be looking there. But not yet, just kind of open your Bibles, hold it there, Isaiah Chapter 35, before that, I, this is the first time I've preached since Christmas season, and I gotta tell you, I love Christmas. I love it. It is by far, it ain't even close, it is by far my favorite time of year. Now, I am telling you that it was someone who has been a Salvation Army officer for a long time. And is used to every Christmas season about eight weeks worth of doing 18-hour days every day. And I still love it so much. There's just something about Christmas. There's something about the Christmas decorations. There's something about red and green. There's something about the cold in the air. I love the cold. Some of you in here are freezing. I'm sorry. It's easier for you to put on more clothes. I won't finish the rest of that. <laughs> for those of you who are cold, just grow a beard. It helps. It helps. It helps. That's why you've got a jacket on. So with all of that, I am grateful for the Christmas season. I love the traditions. I love giving presents. I also love occasionally receiving a present. I love eggnog. It's the yeah. best. Mm -hmm. Wassel. I don't know if you ever had wassel, but that's pretty good too. Yeah. Google it if you don't know what it is. It's amazing. I love the Christmas season. Let's look in Isaiah, chapter 35. The scripture says this, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. 
It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord. The splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then... Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs and the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there. And it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. Capital W. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. There will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. You will know that we've been studying this past several weeks. We've been looking at this uh, series, Prophecies and Promises. And we've been looking in the Old Testament about the prophecies and the promises that are given to us through Jesus Christ fulfilling. And today we're looking at love. And when I read Isaiah 35, I see it filled with the love of the Father in it. Now, let me, let me give you some context here. Let me explain a little more about what's happening. Because Isaiah is a long book with a lot of chapters. But if you have not read the book of Isaiah, read it. Like, every book in the Scriptures is amazing and God-breathed. But Isaiah in the Old Testament is one of my favorites. If you look at the 39 books in the Old Testament, if you read them, especially if you look at them in chronological order, if you read it in chronological order, you will see a pattern begin to emerge. The pattern kind of goes like this. Israel is in rebellion against God and Isaiah was warning them. Israel, in this pattern, ignores the warning. So what does God do? He brings judgment. And normally, if you read the Scriptures of the Old Testament, you will see that judgment almost always comes in the form of a foreign nation coming and bringing, taking them into exile. So at that point, in that pattern, the Israelites are exiled. Then, the next part of this pattern that happens over and over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament is the Israelites repent. 
Read the 39 books. Read the Old Testament. Read it in chronological order. You'll see this pattern happen again and again and again and again. And not just for the nation of Israel, but for those individuals as well. David goes through this pattern. Abraham goes through this pattern. Moses. It's a pattern that we repeat to this day. This pattern of God sending a warning, we ignore it. God brings judgment. We are exiled from God. And we either repent or we stay in exile. But I love that in this pattern, in the midst of this, in Isaiah, this is what's happening. Isaiah, before now, is warning. God is warning through Isaiah, the people of Israel. This is coming. Repent. The Babylonians are coming. The Assyrians are coming. Repent. And I don't want to spoil the end of the book, but they don't. And they get taken into exile. And in the midst of that, we get these several chapters. And there are several. I picked out one. But if you read Isaiah in the 30s and even into the 40s and, and 50s, it gets into the, the messianic prophecies. I picked this one because this one I felt God leading me towards. In the midst of that, God shows his love for us and for the Israelites in this way. God's response to all of this. In verse 1 and 2, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness rejoice and blossom. Like the, like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord. The splendor of our God. If you and I repent, then the first thing to hear that Jesus or that God says is your environment will change around you. What is this? What, what is he talking about? He's talking about the land, the parched land and all that. And certainly within that context of the Israelites and being farmers and shepherds and all that and not having running water, this is a big deal, having these things. But for you and me, it goes beyond our physical around us. But also the community with which we engage in. If you repent and accept Christ into your life, these things around you will begin to change as well. Guess what? You, you need me. And I need you. As a body of Christ, we need one another. May you and I be these streams in the desert for someone else. May you and I bring the glory of the Lord to someone else. 
May you also surround yourself with people that do that for you. Because I don't know if you know this, life is hard. Even for those who are fully grafted into God, even for those who have accepted all that God has for us and live in the calling and what God has asked of us, guess what? It's still hard. But man, oh man, how fulfilling it is, especially, as I said earlier, there's something about when we're together. How fulfilling it is. Scripture doesn't stop there. It says, and to hit my point even more, in 1 John chapter 1, if you've been, you'll know we've been doing a virtual Bible study, and I've been doing 1 John. Well, in 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 7 says this, but if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all our sins. This is the promise given to us through the love of Jesus Christ. Even when we are exiled, God's arm is not too short. It goes on then in verse 3, 4, 5, and 6. and says, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the death unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. So not only will he change the environment around us and who's, who we interact with and us being a part of that, he also will strengthen you. Now, I, I want to be precise here. This isn't always about physical strength. Although the writer Isaiah here talks about physical strength, it's about so much more than your physical strength. It's about so much more than being visually able to see and being able to hear. It's about spiritually being able to see. And being able to hear. It's about spiritually being strong in the Holy Spirit. Some of the strongest people I know, when it came towards the end of their life, could not get out of bed. But made such an impact on my life because of their witness. What the world would say is weak. It's amazing testimony. not always about physical strength. Moreover, spiritual strength lasts for eternity. Later on in Isaiah chapter 40, he, we talk, he talks a little bit about, more about this in 40 uh, verses 39 to 31. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak, even youth, youths grow tired and weary and the young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. 
They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Life's hard. All of us have had difficult, difficult things that have happened in our lives. But Christ is all and all in all. Christ helps us get through those difficult things. I am willing to bet that there are more than one of you in this room that could stand and tell us about how in the midst of darkness you felt the light of God. And that's what helped you get through that darkness. And there is no limit to that. There is no amount of times where God's like, all right, well, that was number five for you. So figure it out. That's not how it works. Do you understand that part of this pattern that I talked about earlier is that God loves us so much he doesn't give up on us? Because that pattern could have happened once. And God was like, yeah, okay, I'm done with you. That's not what happens. That's not what God does. Even though I fail, even though I come up short, God is still reaching his hand out and saying, hey, hey, it's okay. Come on. I got you. Trust in me. Not in your own strength. Trust in my strength. So he will strengthen us. Then in verse 8. And a highway will be there and it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. God loves us so much. That he gave us salvation. But God also loves us so much that he said salvation wasn't enough. Because he gave us holiness. He gave us a way to live as Christ lived. He gave us a way to not only be saved from our sins, but then to be fully removed from us. That we may sin no more. He loves you so much that he gave you a way to holiness. Because who's holy but God? And he gave us a way to have part of his character. That's amazing and mind-blowing. Because again, I'll point you back to the pattern of me being rebellion against God and him and God saying, hey, 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 what are you doing? Here's your warning. And me saying, ah, no, I'm going to do what I want. And God still provides a way towards holiness. Who am I? God would consider me in that way. Or you, like, who are we? We're made in his image. That's who we are. 
The way of holiness does not exist without God. And moreover, you and I could not walk it without the Holy Spirit. Friends, you have Jesus. Amen. You have salvation. Amen. Don't stop there. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide and lead you in every step you take and watch and see what he does. Watch and see who he brings into and out of your life. Watch and see how while you're minding your own business, someone will walk up to you and God will present you with an opportunity to share goodness with them. Watch and see. And then lastly, in verse 10, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. He will strengthen us. He can make us holy. And he loves us so much that he makes our joy complete. The promise given of being in Zion. What is Zion? It is where God dwells. It is being fully in the presence of God, for that is what heaven is. Is it gates and golden bricks on the ground and all that? I, maybe. I do know fully it is where God is, being fully in his presence. And I do know that hell is where God isn't. And I don't want to be in exile. This was seen by the Israelites as being able to return to their promised land. Right? Because they were in exile in Babylon and Assyria. This was the promise God was giving. You will be able to go back to your promised land. But for you and me, it's so much more. It's not about a physical, geographical place. If you remember the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, Jesus says to the woman at the well, my worshipers, it's not about this mountain, it's not about Jerusalem and then the temple, my worshipers can worship anywhere and they will worship in spirit and truth. It's not about a physical location. This building isn't magic. It's the people inside it. This uniform is nothing but polyester. It's the Holy Spirit indwelling the person wearing it. All of this all of this, these promises that are given in the Old Testament are fulfilled through Christmas. Luke 2, 6 through 11. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. 
She wrapped them in cloths and placed them in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. It's always when an angel shows up, they're always terrified. Fair enough, right? But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Huh. They will return to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 35. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You see, I've alluded to this, I've said this a couple of times. Without Christmas, there is no disciples. Without Christmas, there is no cross. Without Christmas, there is no empty tomb. Without Christmas, there is no Pentecost. Without Christmas, there is no letter written to the churches. Without Christmas, there is no fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 35. Without Christmas, there is no true sacrificial love that comes from God. And without Christmas, there is no dwelling with God. Without Christmas, there is no Revelation 21. Without Christmas, this doesn't happen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of, a he out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the, from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Without Christmas, there is no Revelation 21. Without the love of Christ shown to us through his birth and ultimate death and resurrection, there is no joy. Only fleeting happiness. 
This morning I started this sermon talking about how much I love Christmas. And I listed all the superficial things I love. But what I really love about Christmas is that you and I are not left abandoned. That's what I love about Christmas. You and I have not been left alone. God is truly with us. This morning, as the music plays, won't you come? Won't you come and receive the joy of the Lord? Won't you come and receive His love and mercy? Won't you come and learn and walk in holiness before our God? Because there is a world that needs Christmas every day. And you and I have the, lo the love, the hope, the peace, the joy that others need to see. And how dare we hide it? How dare we not live in it? So this morning, as the music plays, won't you come and receive what...